0: So reading Matthew 18, from verse 15 to the end. And Ray's always said it's on page 695. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of the two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Amen, this is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, it's uh, indeed a great privilege to be able to um, bring God's word to you all this morning. And it's our prayer that uh, God will bless us as we open his word. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord and heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace together this morning and we praise you and thank you that you have revealed yourself so clearly in your word. We thank you Father that your word became flesh and your dear Son Jesus Christ our Saviour and Lord stepped down onto this earth and lived as a human being revealing you and your purpose for our lives. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in creation but Father as we open your word this morning it's our prayer that you'll open our hearts, open our minds to hear you speaking to us, but not only to hear it but to be able to understand and apply your message to us as we live our lives for you as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for your servant Matthew who has written Matthew's Gospel and we thank you for Jesus' words to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. And we thank you for the message that Jesus has for us in your word this morning. We pray all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Bob and Ted are good friends. They meet together regularly on a Tuesday afternoon for coffee at Town Green. They usually discuss the footy results. Of course, they talk about the test cricket. And they talk about all sorts of other things as well. They share together their love for their families and what their their kids are doing and what their grandchildren are up to. One Tuesday afternoon, Bob said to Ted, you know, Ted, I hate it when my wife and I have an argument because she gets so historical. (laughs) Well, Ted, being the ever one prone to uh, correcting people, said, hey, hey, wait a minute, Bob, you mean hysterical. Bob said, no, no, I mean historical because every time we argue, she brings up everything from the past and holds it against me. This morning, we're talking about one of the most important doctrines in the Bible, the Word of God. And that doctrine is the doctrine of forgiveness. And we ask ourselves, how important is forgiveness to us? Well, before we answer that, let us just um, uh, think about our lives and think about our, our great desires for a moment. Our great desires usually revolve around what makes us happy. You know, good health, uh, rewarding job, a comfortable retirement, um, loving children, successful grandkids. You know, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? In fact, our great desires are as numerous as we are here today. But that's all very well. But what is our greatest need? And our greatest need is universal. It's common to us all. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Forgiveness and the peace that forgiveness alone brings. Your great need, and mine also, is to be forgiven. To be freed from the penalty due to us. To be pardoned and set right. To be reconciled with the person wronged. Our great need is to be forgiven for the way we've treated another. For the things we've said, the things we've done, the things we haven't done, the unpleasant thoughts that we've had towards another. But most of all, for the way we have treated our great God, we need to be forgiven, to be reconciled with Him. Because unforgiveness separates us from God, unforgiveness separates us from each other. So, what is forgiveness? We all know it; just the word just glibly rolls off our tongue, doesn't it? But what is it? Simply put, forgiveness is a promise made and kept, never, ever to remember the wrong in the future. Corrie Ten Boom, I'm sure many of you have read her, some of her books, said that forgiveness is to have our wrongs cast into the deeper sea with a big sign up saying, No fishing allowed. That's what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness means forgetting. I remember when Dawn and I did a ministry in Scotland some 10 years ago now. There was a great controversy in Scotland with regard to the building of the new Holyrood Parliament and the local... Authorities made many, many boos and mistakes and everything else in the building of that. And I remember reading an article in one of the Scottish papers and the journalist said, and I quote, we should forgive the civil servants for the bungling, but we'll never forget their mistakes. (laughs) Typical journalist, don't you? Forgiveness means forgetting. Forgiveness requires forgetting. So we all need to be forgiven. First and foremost by our great God for the way we've treated him. Secondly, by each other when we fail to treat each other as we ought. Both require reconciliation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped out of heaven, stripped himself of all the glory of being God, came down to earth to live on earth as a human man. He was tormented. He was tortured. He was stripped. He was whipped. He suffered. And he died that cruel, bloody death on the Calvary cross. And then he rose victorious on the first Easter Sunday. Why? Why did all this happen? I have heard one minister, and I think you have too, because I think Scott quoted a particular minister some couple of months ago saying that we are only saved by faith in Jesus' life. His death was a terrible tragedy. But Jesus died on that cross. He died to pay the penalty for us and to provide our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins, our rebellion against God. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, all of us. And we need to be forgiven. And as we focus on Jesus' provision for us on the cross and his glorious walking out of the tomb on Easter Sunday, as we focus on that, how are we to respond? Well to be forgiven, to be reconciled by God, he calls us to recognise our sinfulness, our poverty of spirit, repent of it, and trust in the finished work of Jesus to get us right with him. In other words, to receive the forgiveness that God so freely offers to us. There is a scripture in song Him that some of you may have heard, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely forgive. But not only that, we are required to repent and trust Jesus, but that's not all. As new creations in Christ, as God's adopted children, we are to live godly lives. Now we don't earn our salvation by obeying the law or living a godly life. We earn our salvation simply by repenting and trusting in Jesus. But the evidence of that is how we live our lives. And living godly lives includes forgiving others as God has forgiven us in Christ. We prayed the Lord's Prayer this morning. Sometimes, of course, And I'm guilty as much as you are. We kind of rattle off the Lord's Prayer without really thinking exactly what we're praying. But I'm sure that's not you. But we did pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Stop. What does that mean to you? We are asking God to forgive us on the basis of forgiveness of those who have wronged us. In other words, we have no right to ask for God's forgiveness if we have some unforgiveness in our hearts. Now, the Lord's Prayer, as we know, is in Matthew chapter 6. It's in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And after he goes through the various petitions in the Lord's Prayer, a few verses later on, and in verse 14, this business of being of forgiving others and being forgiven by God is so important that Jesus expounds that in verse 14 and he says and i quote for if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins sounds pretty scary doesn't it what jesus is saying there, is that forgiving others is evidence of our repentance and faith in Jesus. One commentator said, and I quote, God forgives only the penitent, that is the repentant, and one of the main evidences of, the, of penitence is a forgiving spirit. The head of a large British mental institution once said that he could dismiss half his patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? Someone once said, we are are most like beasts when we kill, we are most like humans when we judge, but we are most like God when we forgive. But when we say we forgive, do we really forgive? What about Bob's wife? She obviously forgave him over the years for the various things, but every time they had an argument, she brought it up again. Had she really forgiven him? Had she? That's not a rhetorical question. Someone answer, had she? No, of course not. Forgiveness requires forgetting. And indeed, if she keeps bringing it up and bringing it up, She hasn't forgotten. She hasn't forgiven. If we even remember the wrong that was done against us, then we have not forgiven in the first place. Let's look at our passage before us. I think it's page 695. And it's Matthew 18, and we're looking at verses 15 to 17. And what Jesus is telling us, when a person wrongs us, or think or we think he's wronged us, we have an obligation. And this, these few verses, three verses from 15, 16 and 17, calls us to go to that person and to discuss the issue. Seek repentance and be prepared to forgive. If the per- person fails to repent, take one or two others along with you. Then even take the church if she, he or she still refuses to repent, treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, treat him as a person outside of the fellowship. But we are still required to forgive that person from our heart. So in summary... We go to the person to, to, to clarify the issue, of course we know sometimes there could be a misunderstanding or a, mis- or a communication issue. We go to them to clarify the issue and if the person, if it is a true problem, if the person repents, we are to forgive them and restore the relationship as if it hadn't happened. But if they do not repent. We are asked to forgive them from our heart without the necessity to restore the relationship. But still forgive them because our, our thoughts towards them must be free of all animosity. We need to tell God our willingness to forgive and our desire to be reconciled with that person. We're not the brood up. And it's in this sense, in this sense alone, that we forgive the person before God. So, forgiveness from the heart is absolutely essential at all times. Someone once wrote that forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and the church running smoothly. In a world where even those who have been declared perfect in Christ sin, there is much to forgive. We as Christians work together. We live together, we worship together, we serve the Lord together in a multitude of ways. And as imperfect beings, we're, we're a little bit by, like porcupines dancing together. We must learn to dance in such a way that when our needles do jab one another, that the forgiveness wipes out the pain and heals the wounds. As we all know, we will, from time to time, dent each other's doors, we'll take out the odd taillight, we might even have a head-on collision from time to time. But we must always forgive. We must always get together with that person. And we must always forgive. With your Bibles open, page 695, we're looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant. And in verses 21 to 27, we see there the divine mercy of God when he forgives our vast offences against him. Let me um, put this in today's terms. The king, he's owed 10 million bucks. And as we read in verse 26, at the servant's repentance and request, took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Then in verses 28 to 35, we are distressed when we see this very same man, the one who has been forgiven much, who has been forgiven this vast debt, strangling his poor servant who owes him five bucks. That's us. Friends, we have been forgiven an immeasurable debt by God, by the way we've treated him and failed to treat him, failed to honour him as our God of vast offences and our response should not only be one of gratitude, praise and faith but an attitude of forgiveness to others who owe us much, much less. So in the parable, the king was told about the servant who had just been forgiven much, failing to forgive little. And we read in verse 34, In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. The master, the king, turned him over to be tortured. What is the torture, do you think, if we have unforgiveness in our heart? The torture is resentment, anger, bitterness, self-pity, a desire to retaliate. And, as he said, our own forgiveness is in jeopardy until he should pay back all he owed. So while our greatest need is forgiveness, our great obligation is to forgive. I think you'd all agree that practically speaking, if we are unforgiving, we have an unforgiving heart, it affects us in, in, in such a, a savage way because we'll end up like a dried up prune. Our hearts will be wizened up, no love, no juice of compassion left. We'll be bitter, resentful, angry. Forgiveness in, in our heart is a seed, and if it is not reefed out, It will grow into a great tree that will contaminate our lives, our whole lives. I wonder if many of you have seen this latest film, The Railway Man. Anyone seen that? Couple? Isn't that an incredible story, an incredible message? Just to very briefly praise it, a man by the name of Eric Lomax was in a prisoner of war camp the Burma railway. And he... I won't go into the details because you might want to see it, but it's a brilliant story and a brilliant message. He was savagely beaten day after day. Um, He was sort of almost beaten to a pulp um, by by and at the direction of the Japanese guard by the name of Nagasi. Eric Lomax survived, only just, and after the war he went back home, he and his friend, and he was tortured because he had this, so much anger against this Japanese guard. So much anger. His friend was the same. His friend couldn't deal with it and jumped off a bridge and committed suicide. This, I might add, is a true story. Eric Lomax made a point of finding Nagassi, the guy that had tortured him so savagely for so many years. He found him. And the long... The, the, well, the short story is that Nagassi repented of how he had treated him. And Eric Lomax forgave him. And they became the best of friends. And they, in fact... Uh, had a very close association with one another. One of them died, I forget which one, in 1993, the other one in the early 2000s. But they lived together as almost as brothers because Eric was prepared to forgive Nagasi, the Japanese guard who almost beat him to a pulp. It's, a, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible message. And that's what it's like. Unforgiveness in the home, in the church, in the school or wherever is like having a toxic nuclear waste depot on your doorstep. So practically speaking, forgiving someone means that the issue is totally removed from your mind and your heart. Therefore, you'll never ever mention it or bring it up again, not even in your own mind. Never mention it to anyone or yourself. But speaking about repentance, we need to touch on that very briefly. Repentance is much, much more than saying, I'm sorry. Being sorry doesn't indicate a change of heart at all. It is more closely related to being sorry for the consequences of what you've done. I can drive down the freeway tomorrow. I can drive down at 150 k's an hour. I'm breaking the law. And I can drive past a little... Uh, blue car that has a little thing pointing out the side. And I can be mighty sorry that I was driving at 150k. Why? Why am I sorry? Am I sorry because I broke the law? No, I'm sorry because I got booked or will get booked. I'm sorry for the consequences. Repentance means a change of heart, a mentality that says, hey, that was wrong. I must not do or say or think that again. Repentance is passing the ball to the other person and it requires them to do something about it. An apology requires no such commitment and it gets none. The writer to the letter of the Hebrews says in chapter 12 and verse 14 Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness no one We'll see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. No bitter root. Forgiveness is free to the receiver, but it costs the one who grants it. Look what it costs God to forgive us. It costs him the life of his one and only son. It cost him the pain of seeing his son go through all that torture and pain and being spiritually separated from him. Forgiveness never ignores sin. It doesn't tolerate sin. It focuses on the fact that there was a sin and it deals with it. And forgiveness is not an end. It is a beginning. The beginning of a new and vital and glorious relationship with Christ and with each other. Forgiveness is a fresh start. I'd like to conclude with a message once again from Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie was preaching on forgiveness after the war. She was preaching at Munich in 1947 when she saw in the congregation the German guard who was responsible for her sister's death at Ravensbrück. And this is an incredibly wonderful example of how we all struggle to forgive others and how, in God's strength, we are able to do what we think is the impossible. After she'd preached, the guard came up to Corrie And I quote from her book. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner amongst those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. How could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I have had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then the healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and I didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given unto us. It's a powerful story, isn't it? A powerful story that can be your story that must be your story we have to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave us when we return to Australia from overseas we pass through customs the customs official will ask do you have anything to declare And this morning God is asking you that very same question. Do you have anything to declare? Next week we come to the table of the Lord here. Is there any unforgiveness in your heart? If there is, take action now. Go to your brother or sister and be reconciled in the sight of God before you come to the table of the Lord next week. Let us pray. Father God, it's with great joy that we can read your word and hear you speaking to us. But Lord, this morning you've spoken to each one of our hearts. You've spoken to me you've spoken to all of us. Help us, we pray, by your Spirit to search our hearts. Is there any unforgiveness there? And if there is, we pray once again by your Spirit that you will strengthen us to be able to deal with the issue and indeed to experience that same joy that Kari Ten Boom's experienced when we forgive our brother and sister. We thank you. We thank you so much for the forgiveness that you have given us, that you've provided for us, through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that indeed we will be repentant people and forgiving people. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. Amen.